in this verse, it says they were earnestly praying. And, you know, I am, I, I, I'm going to get as pointed as I can and then work my way back out. The Im- most important word in that, that passage, in my estimation, is the word earnestly. And the specific word that's being used in that passage is powerfully used when connected to prayer. And I wish you guys were, for those of you who are here, it's maybe easier for those of you who are at home, um, I want to figure out, just just if you're able to stand up, stand up. And just spread out from somebody you're near. Let's just pretend you're social distancing, you know, maybe six feet apart from somebody. So you can't really reach them. Yeah, a little farther than you can reach them. Put your hands up so you can't reach anybody. Are you got it? So you can't reach anybody? Now, what I want you to do, ow, ow, is I want you to... I want you to stretch out to somebody that you can't touch. So somebody you can't touch. Just look around, find somebody you can't reach, and I want you to stretch out to them. So maybe just put one hand out to somebody you can't reach. Okay? So now I want you to try a little harder to reach them. And now I want you to try a little harder to reach them. I want you to, to, I mean, this is like a game of Twister. I want you to go for it as far as you can go. Maybe you're even going to go to the point of unbalance where it causes you to fall over to reach them. Are you there? If you are there, then you are expressing the depth of this word. This word literally means to stretch yourself out to the point of of, of falling over to, to cover something so that you would lay yourself out in order to see it happen. This is what is being said about the church praying for the release of Peter, who is... In prison. Now, I don't know that they're praying for the release of Peter. I believe contextually they're not praying for the release of Peter, and we'll get at that as to why. But if you don't know this story, this verse would be full of tension, wouldn't it? Peter's being held in prison, and the church is praying for him. There's a tension, and the church is earnestly praying. And, and the question I have is, what are you expecting? Where, I mean, I'd ask it this way at the beginning. Where are you applying yourself in prayer in a way where it would be described as earnest? That you're, that you're being stretched out to the point where you're almost tipped over. You're, you can feel it in your body. You can bear the weight of your earnest prayer in a way that you're asking God and you're expectant. Expectation is a gift. It's a gift that we offer God in response to the gift that he offers us in prayer. Expectation is a blend of... Uh, of confident trust and, and what, what we might call sanctified imagination. And Ephesians says that he, he's going to give us more than we can ask or imagine. He's telling us it's okay for us in, a, in the place of prayer to actually activate our imaginations. What would it look like, God, for you to move? And we begin to stretch ourselves toward that thing. that we the, And it's a gift that we offer back to God. It gives us the capacity to ask the Lord for what he wants to give. You might have to think about that one. And I want to just say this at the outset of this passage I'm about to unpack. He, God, answers all prayers. There is no such thing as unanswered prayers. Garth Brooks, God bless you, no such thing as unanswered prayers. He says yes, he says no, he says not yet or not now. A delay is an answer. He answers prayer. And to have what he wants for us without his timing would be disastrous. Think about it. Think about him giving you some of the things that you asked for when you weren't ready to have them. 
how disastrous that might have been for you and for me. And so what are you or what were you expecting? Let me unpack for you four scenes that, are, that, that, that wrap this verse up. I've preached this, this passage before because I love it so much. This is one of those passages that just grabs hold of me. I, I would call it maybe in the silver bullet category, the one I'd carry with me wherever I go and be ready to preach this because I love this passage so much. But let me give you the four scenes. This, this whole story opens with a wicked king named Herod. And it's about Herod is essentially... Um, Herod is, is, is essentially, he's the founder of the cancel culture. He, he's literally canceling people. You know, he's, he's, he's not quite as devious as social media, but he's, you know, he's literally taking people's heads off. You know, he, you know Herod is, he's finding that when he does certain things, that it stirs the people up. And so what Herod has done is he, he is... James, the brother of John, has now died at the hand of the sword, which almost certainly means he was beheaded, and the people like it. And when Herod sees how much the people like this happening, he says, you know what? James is a small fish in comparison to Peter. So he seizes Peter and has him put in prison, and because he wants to post this on Facebook at exactly the right time, he doesn't post it right away. He decides to wait and to, and to, to air this out, on pass around Passover, when the, you know he, he to do it right at Passover, you know would be bad because people were there. So it's between he seizes him, you know, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then he hands him over to be guarded, um, and and he's going to bring him to public trial after Pat right after Passover. And so he's this is such a prized prisoner. He's got so much invested in this. He's getting lots of likes on this that he decides that he's going to give four squads of four soldiers each. So he's got 16 guys guarding Peter to keep, to keep watch over him. This is one doesn't want this to get away from him. And so Herod, what, what is Herod expecting in this? Herod's expecting popularity. Herod's expecting that he can go at this in a way where it's going to make him even more, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to boost him up in the eyes of the people. Herod's clearly pandering, clearly buying into, you know, what does it take for me to be? Herod wants to be known. He wants to be loved. He wants to be worshipped. And he sees the way that people respond to this evil action, and he says, you know what? If a little bit's good, then a lot's got to be even better. So Herod's expecting to, to rise in prominence by virtue of this action. I could also ask in this first scene where this is all happening, what is the church expecting here? And I can ask that in two ways. I could ask it first in reference to James. The church presumably knows that James had been arrested and presumably the church gathered in prayer for James. And what happens, what prayer do you think they prayed for James? I think they prayed for deliverance, that James would be delivered from the hands of Herod and from prison. But he's not. He's killed. And you, what do you think this does to the church? This isn't the first person that's been killed or persecuted in the name of Jesus, but it's the first of the 12. There had been a bubble around the 12. The 12 were untouchable. And now maybe approximately 10 years after the the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, for the first time, one of the inner circle 
not just the 12, one of the three, Peter, James, and John, has been touched by persecution, and it burst the bubble. What do you think the church is expecting now? Maybe all bets are off. Maybe confusion. Have you ever prayed for someone's deliverance from death and they didn't live? This can mess with us, can't it? It can mess with our expectancy. It can mess with our propensity to go back before the Lord and to ask him for things that we believe are within his will. You guys just keep praying for me to get better. That's the inside joke. We can talk about it later if you want. What is the church expecting with regards to Peter now that James has been killed? The church has gathered to pray. And what are they praying with regards to Peter's life here? I mean, there's a... It's, it's, it's kind of an argument from silence, uh, but it seems pretty clear that they're not expecting for him to be delivered. It seems pretty clear from the internal cues of this passage that Peter's not expecting to be delivered from prison. And it seems pretty clear that their expectancy now is that God, it doesn't even say, it just says the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So we don't know exactly what it is, but it, it, it's at least possible, if not probable, that the church was simply praying for Peter to have peace. And I, and I, I think how we, you know, we, can, we can get it, maybe how this is the case in, in just a bit when we get into the next scenes. What are you expecting? And that's why this verse, verse 5, is such a perfect hinge for this whole passage. Because essentially you have the expectations of Herod and what he's planning to see happen in his life by virtue of, what, of his leadership, his, his, his wicked leadership, and maybe the expectations of the church if, in fact, they're praying for Peter to be peaceful or maybe to be delivered from prison. So verse 5 says, Peter's kept in prison, but the church is praying. And so I'll give the church some grace and say part of the tension maybe if they were, in fact, praying that Peter would be released from, from prison, it creates even greater tension, doesn't it? Who, what's going to happen? And so you flip to the second scene, scene two. We, we, we switch from Herod kind of leading in the way that he's leading, which, which seems to be pretty evil, to the night before Peter's trial. And so this is the night before, I mean, he's, it's already been clear what he's going to do. You know, we, the, the text tells us he seizes Peter and he's going, to, he's going to take him the same route. And so this is the night before he's going to be put to death, almost certainly. And we enter into this scene, and you would expect to find what I would expect to find on the last night of a guy's life who is trying to maybe sort it all out. You'd expect to find him worried or anxious or at least in prayer. And what we find is we find Peter sleeping between two soldiers. He's chained to two soldiers, two more guarding the doors, 14 more around or 12 more around the, the perimeter. And so Peter is sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains, tied to guards. 
Peter sleeping on death row is a pretty stark contrast to Peter sleeping in Gethsemane. In Gethsemane, Peter slept in ignorance. In Herod's prison, Peter sleeps in faith. Peter, to me, looks a lot like my friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who believe that God can deliver him and will deliver him, but even if he doesn't, he trusts him. And so here he is the night before a pretty predetermined trial, sleeping, sleeping on death row. Into this situation comes uh, some angels. An angel of the Lord appears and a light shone in the cell. One of my favorite hymns, And Can It Be, borrows from this, you know, the... Uh, my, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. comes out of this, this passage. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Peter has no clue what's going on. You, I mean, he, then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing. He didn't have any idea what, what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was dreaming. Why wouldn't he think that? Could this really be happening? I'm 16 guards. I'm chained, and the guards haven't woken up, and I'm just being let out by an angel. And they passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. I mean, isn't this fascinating? The gates have opened from the chains. The gates have opened from the prison. They're approaching the city gates. The gates are opening to the city gates as they get there. They pass through that. It opens by itself, and they go through it. And when they walk through the, the, the length of the street, suddenly the angel's gone. And then Peter wakes up, comes to himself, and says, Now I know. And this is just to me the most fascinating answer to all this you've ever, I've ever heard in Scripture. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. Here we know that Peter was expecting to be killed. But he says, after all that, it like took all that, I guess, for him to go, well, now I know God's really doing something. I mean, it seemed to me at the point the chains fall off and you're walking out with the guards that maybe something's going on, but it took a lot. Peter just is fascinating to me. He's a great textbook for the, the growth of faith. But do you know what hits me hard in this passage? Do you know what the church is doing right now while Peter is, while this is happening to Peter? The church is praying. And they're praying for Peter. And if there's any portion of their prayer, which I'm sure there was, it said, Lord, deliver him. But nevertheless, let him be, be at peace. Their prayer has been answered while they're praying. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating that sometimes we talk about delays in prayer or the ways and the timing of God's prayer, this prayer has been answered before the prayer meetings even ended. They don't know that their prayers have been answered. They don't, I think you would say, as we're getting ready to shift to the next scene, really have the faith to believe the very prayer they're praying. And so, let's shift to that third scene. In the third scene, which, if you're following along with me, it starts around the, the 12th verse. Peter comes, becomes a, you know, aware of what's going on. He's like, okay, I'm out of prison. The angel took me out through all these gates. I'm, I'm set free. And it dawns on him that the church is 
certainly gathered together, and he knows because he's, you know, this is a rhythm. This is a pattern for them, and he knows where they've gathered for this. They've gathered at John Mark's, you know, house, his mother's house, and they're gathering to pray. So he knows, he, he thinks to himself, what I need to do is go there and present myself to them for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is to, is to encourage their hearts to show them yet again how, how God is able. He's able. Heals the brokenhearted, sets the captives free, makes the blind to walk again, or makes the lame to walk in, cause the blind to see he's able. He's able. I know my God is able. I know my God is able to carry me through. And Peter says, I need to go and show them. So he goes to the place. This is the third scene where they're praying. And what does Peter find? Chains have fallen off from his wrist. Prison doors are open. The gates, series of gates to the prison he, are all unlocked. The city gate opens. And he gets to the gate of the prayer meeting. And what does he find? He's locked out. <laughs> I don't even know what to make of this. I don't have any, this is what this means. I, I think it's kind of a prophetic thing that we have to kind of say la in to go, what does it mean for this guy who's been set free from all these places to get to the very place where the people who are praying for him, and he can't get in. So what does he do? He knocks. Wish I had a better knocking sound effect. You know, the, 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 I mean, the, the prayers are rising up, right? The prayers are rising up. It, nobody even hears what's going on. Finally, a girl named Rhoda, who's a slave. Let's clean it up a little bit. She's a servant. Here's the knock. She goes out to the gate. She doesn't even see him. She hears him. I don't know what he's saying. I, I, with Peter, he could be saying anything. You know, what in the world are they doing in there? Let me in. She hears his voice. She doesn't even let him in. She's so excited at what, what's happened because what does she realize in this moment? That God has answered the prayers probably exceedingly abundantly above what they were asking and imagining. Above their expectation, God's answered their prayers. She's so blown away by this, she can't wait to let them know to, to be basically the apostolic messenger of what Peter's come to say, which is, I'm free. She wants to deliver this message. She goes and says to them, hey, guess who's at the door? It's Peter. What was Rhoda expecting? Honestly, this whole passage to me is an indication, I believe, it's a deep indication that God has a very keen sense of humor. I think this is a very funny passage in a lot of ways, that what's going on here. But it's not all funny. But it's, to me, hilarious that the church is so caught up in their prayer meeting. Sometimes we're so busy making noise on our end of the prayer spectrum that we don't hear God when he responds on his end of the spectrum. And so, you know, here's Rhoda 
expecting the fact that her voice in this community will be heard and taken seriously because she has a message that is capital T truth. Peter's at the door. So she goes in and she tells them, Peter's at the door. And they say to her, you're out of your mind. <laughs> so what do they say? You're out of your mind. What they say to her is, you could not have seen what we have been praying for. That's literally what they say to her. The very thing we've been praying for, you could not have seen it. And they dismiss her. Must be his angel. Well, there was a significant belief in the Jewish mindset of guardian angels. And there, you know, maybe you saw a, a spirit. You maybe you saw you know, an angel. But you certainly could not have seen what we've been praying for. And what does Rhoda do? She does not go to her room. She does not give up. Rhoda insists that it was so. Rhoda persists in her expectancy. Rhoda, the Greek that's used here, the Greek that's used here suggests violence. And I don't mean like physical violence. It suggests, it suggests a, a, a persistence that is so strong that it will not be moved by the room. That's a pretty powerful assertion about what's going on in here in this passage, what's going on with, with Rhoda, because it must have been devastating for her that she didn't just give up. And it, it, it's, it's, it's extraordinary to me. She doesn't give up insisting, and Peter doesn't give up knocking. Peter just is out there knocking, won't give up. The doubt that Rhoda receives from the community is the, it's the worst kind of doubt. It's the hardest kind of doubt to contend with. Why? Why do they doubt her? Yeah, there's, there's like, she's the wrong everything. She's the wrong age. Is she an old person who is wise and walked in years, many, many years? No. So she is dismissed because she's just a kid. Is she the right gender? Certainly in that context, in that, the day she's walking in, I mean, the church is, the church, the early church is light years ahead of the world that they live in, light years ahead. Jesus has done remarkable, said and done remarkable things to advance the cause of women, but the world there is, you know, this is, it wasn't that long ago, women couldn't vote in our country, you know? I mean, this is first century Israel. It's still a patriarchal society in the Middle East. This is, she's not the right gender. She, didn't, she, couldn't, she couldn't legally testify in a trial. So she's not a credible witness. And she's not the right class. She's just a servant girl. Just a young servant girl. She's in the vast minority in this prayer meeting. And her voice isn't heard. So she keeps insisting that it's so. And here's why the doubt that comes inside of the community is the hardest. It's the most challenging issue. It's because God has given us a mandate that is the most comprehensive mandate and plan 
that God has for us as the body of Christ. We bring him worship. We ascribe him worth. He's worthy of all things. But the future of the church lies in the comprehensive plan of God to save the community that's around us. That's, that's, that's you know, that, that never changes. Make disciples of all nations. We, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That man, the, the, the desire, the need, the calling, the push of the church to go out and to make disciples of people who are within sound of my voice right now will never change, right? But the problem is this. We can't reconcile with people who are different from us until we reconcile with those who are the same as us. And when we can't find agreement in the prayer meeting, we're never going to be good witnesses in the world. Mm. Somebody say amen. amen. We can't find a, You know, look, we can afford to disagree on a whole lot of stuff, right? But when some little girl who is not the right everything comes and sees what God is doing, and we tell her you're out of your mind when she's not, how do we know she's not? I got a hundred answers to that. Maybe somebody could maybe one they could have just said, you know, let's just send one person to check the door. She's out of her mind, but let's just send one person just in case. When we expect great things from God, there's always going to be those who think we're out of our minds. Those who respond to our great faith with doubt and disbelief. And I've got a lot more that I that I could say here, but I want to go on. And just leave that challenge there. Peter kept knocking on the door. And when they finally go and open the door and they see him, they're astonished. Why are they astonished? And, and what, what does it mean that they're astonished? I think it means maybe they weren't really expecting Peter to be released. I think it means, you know, a lot of things. I think it means that they weren't really probably in the depths of their heart maybe believing for part of what they're praying for. I don't know. There's just so many questions I have about that prayer meeting. But nevertheless, Peter motions with his hand for them to be quiet. Why? Because at some point, somebody's going to realize he's no longer in that prison cell and somebody's going to start looking for him. And he says, tell James, not the same James. This is, this is James, the brother of Jesus, and the brothers about this. And then he says, let's get out of here. We got we to gotta go, go to another place because certainly word's going to get out. Okay, and that, that kind of ends that scene. You with me? All right. So here's the fourth scene. The fourth scene is the one we always leave out. We get so consumed with, we get so consumed with, with uh, what God is up to, what, taking care of the immediate. I mean, think about the uncertainty in which we live. What, do you ex- what were you expecting for 2020? Somebody tell me, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, going back, I'm going back into the prophetic camp to, su- to see who was prophesying this. Now, I'm not saying that to demean the prophetic movement. I'm just saying this is crazy, right? One of the reasons I really like the, the gift of remembrance or hindsight discernment is because God has taught us that we can trust him because of his history of faithfulness when we look back. Our, our present-day discernment isn't always so great, but, you know, we don't have... In fact, I would suggest to you that many times we have greater faith in the negative. We have, like, our faith is more tied into Murphy's Law than it is God. Like, we're like, 
Man, I told you something, something else bad was going to happen. I just knew this wasn't the end of it, right? I had this feeling that it wasn't going to go well. And, and we are so consumed with trying to discern what is going on in the, in the immediate that we think, God, you're so busy, tied up. Because, you know, we, we have this picture of God like from that Jim Carrey movie. I can't remember the name of it now, the Morgan Freeman one where he's, Bruce Almighty, thank you. Where he's, he's got all the prayer requests in there. He's just consumed with them, and he can't handle it. His mind's just getting ready to get blown because it, he has Post-it notes everywhere. And that's our view sometimes, I think, of God in the immediate. But God's not so busy taking care of the immediate that he can't take care of the future. And so what we find in the final scene is we find that God's picture of answering the prayer that they were praying is much greater and further, much more expansive than what they were praying for. So let's walk through that scene really quickly. So what happens is, in the morning, no small commotion the sol- amongst the soldiers. I'm sure when the soldiers wake up and their Peter's not there, I'm sure that they were the first ones to notice, and I'm sure that they're also the first one to realize what's going to happen. What's going to happen? They're dead. They're dead. I mean, and not like, you know, a kid when you realize you're busted and your kid and your dad, well, my dad finds out I'm dead. I mean, like, they're literally no, uh, and so Herod searches for Peter, doesn't find him, and he orders that that, that the guards be executed. So the guards are executed, and you go, okay, there you go. Herod leaves, and you go, what in the world did we care about what's going to go, what's happening with Herod now? Herod leaves, and he goes, he leaves the area of Judea, goes to Caesarea to the coast, decides to put his feet in the Mediterranean and chill for a bit, little bit. And some people from up north who, 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 have, been, who have been quarreling with, with Herod come down to visit him from Tyre and Sidon, basically South Syria now, South Lebanon. And, and they, they come in, and they, they want to meet with Herod, and they get the, the, the support of one of Herod's trusted men, and, and uh, they're asking for peace. They want, you know, they want to, they, they want, they need Herod to like them so they can eat. Pretty desperate, right? And so they're like, whatever you need, Herod, you know, we, we just want to eat. And so Herod comes dressed in this, Josephus says that Herod is dressed in a silver robe that's made of pure silver that's so heavy and resplendent you can't look at it that the radiance coming off it, people couldn't, it hurt people's eyes to look at Herod. And Herod delivers um, this public address, and the people begin to shout. Certainly the people from Tyre and Sidon who want to eat start shouting, this is the voice of a god, not a man. If you're ever in that situation, (laughs) the best thing that you could do, my advice to you in that time, would be to do the same thing that the apostles do, and I can't remember if it's Peter and, or if it's Paul and Barnabas, somebody remind me in the book of Acts when they say you're gods and they say, it's not us, we're not, we're, we're nobody. My best advice to you if this ever happens to you is to make it really clear really quickly that you're not God, that you're, you're look, I am far from it. But Herod doesn't do that, and because Herod didn't do that immediately, again, we don't know this from the book of Acts, we know this from the account of Josephus, that he immediately falls ill, and something like three weeks later, he just falls over dead, and it, it, his stomach bursts open, and wor- he got eaten from the inside out. He was rotten to the core, is the basic way that this looks. And so my question to Herod is, come on, man, what were you expecting? 
What were you expecting when you rose up against the people of God, thinking that you would pander to your people to gain popularity, and then you would allow this worship to be given to you instead of the one true God? What were you expecting? What happened? And so let me take it out of the the context of all that's happening in in the book of Acts because I believe that there are no heroes amongst us. We're not the heroes of the story. Jesus is the only hero of our story. And when he died for us, he bled for us, he rose for us, the answer of So what we're expecting is we're expecting to exchange everything that's wicked and wrong and sinful in us for his righteousness, right? That's the exchange that we're offered. And what we're expecting in Jesus is to be made like him, to become like him more and more in our sanctified lives, that we might more and more reflect his image and that we might become more and more expectant as co-heirs with him, that we might call upon heaven in ways that we would actually begin to, 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 to even dare to believe that God might give us more when it lines up with his will when he wants to give it to us. And so when I pull this out of the pages of the book of Acts and I point it at us, I say this to you right now. What are you expecting? What are you expecting? What are you expecting? you hardly know him, it's, I, my guess is you're not expecting much. Or maybe in the infancy of your faith, you actually are expecting more. Maybe Rhoda is the model for us. Of, of maybe Rhoda's willingness to see truth and speak it out actually is a model for us. I don't know. But maybe, maybe in your maturity, you've learned to trust God for bigger things than we can see with our own eyes. And if that's you in the church, then I'm calling upon you in the limited time I have left to make such proclamations, I'm calling you into account to be a prophetic voice into the younger faith followers of our congregation to help us to be more expectant as we come before the Lord and ask him to provide for us in our little community, in our little spiritual family, but also in our broader community for the things that we believe that he wants to do that we might actually begin to look and expect for God to do things in our lives that only he could do. Things like the hearts of the sons being turned back to the fathers and the fathers being turned back to the sons. Things like having great faith and not having great fear in the midst of very uncertain times. Show me in the Bible one story that involves certainty for the people. The Bible is a story of uncertainty with a certain God that is not like Hinduism or Buddhism that round and round she goes, where she stops, nobody knows. We're not caught in a cycle. We have a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and we know how it ends, and we know who wins. Guess what? That's us. And so we can have faith in the midst of uncertainty. We can be okay. We can rest in it and have peace knowing that our God reigns. He rules and reigns. He's no less Lord today than he was beginning of this crazy year. 
I'd get up and move around dramatically, but my foot really hurts right now, so I'm not going to go anywhere. But I'm going to ask you guys to respond. Brian, if you want to come up. Or I, I'm not sure if you got... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know if you had... I didn't want to assume. thought maybe Lyndall Cooley was hiding in the back or something. How do you like this? This just so impresses me that he's playing the bass up top, playing the piano. Well, all right. Leading the band and singing. And I'm thinking, will I be able to get up on stage with crutches? You know, it's one, one act. I'm worried about it. I'm not just calling you, though, in a, in a philosophical maybe sometime in the future call to like maybe try to think about possibly maybe ask God for something. I'm calling you right now. And I, I don't want to, I, 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 I'm always hesitant to start naming things, not because I'm afraid to be prophetic, but because I'm afraid to let you off the hook if I don't name your thing. So don't rely on me to name your thing. But I, I'm thinking of some things. Like, I'm specifically thinking right now for you individually, particularly those of you who are older, I'm thinking for your prodigal children. Thinking about prodigal children. For those of you who are older with children that are far from God, have strayed from God, I'm thinking about prodigal children being called home. And maybe you've, maybe, maybe you don't, Maybe you don't pray the same prayers. You're caught in prison. And you don't even don't pray the maybe you'd be surprised if they came knocking at your door to say, I've given my heart to Jesus. I don't know. But I'm, I'm calling you to a renewed place of expectancy. Maybe they're knocking and maybe Rhoda's telling you, hey, they're at the door. Follow up with them. I'm calling you to, to maybe lift that up. Calling you to expect more in your marriage. Maybe you got a good one. Maybe you don't. I'm calling you to blend together a confident trust in the sovereignty of God and a sanctified imagination that He could give you more than you ask or imagine over your marriage. What if we just ask God together, this tiny little congregation, to end the coronavirus? Just eradicate it. <laughs> I mean, who in here right now has the faith to believe that that could just happen? Just because our little congregation prays it. I do. And I'll tell you, you may, you, may, you know, we're not going to divide over Biden and Trump. We're going to divide over mask or no mask. You know, that's probably where we're going to, you know, Catfield and McCoy it. But I can tell you, open up your eyes to the world. South and Central America is a mess. People are dying in droves. It hasn't touched Jacksonville quite so. Go to New York City. I have friends who've watched countless people die. I mean, it's, let's not diminish. Let's not just get so focused on our little borough here.
we can keep debating whose life matters. But we would all agree as believers in Jesus, I think, we will not see the reconciliation of the races in the entire world prior to the return of Jesus. It, I, I, I don't think we will see all that we... I, I, I don't have the faith to expect that. But I do believe that we should have it in the church in a way that will model for the unbelieving world who has no reason to have the faith we have that we will gather together every nation, tribe, and tongue and what we will have that will unite us is white robes washed in the blood of Jesus. I'm going to look around and see people who look and sing and act very differently to me. I'm going to go, you're wearing the same robe washed in the blood of Jesus that I'm wearing. I don't quite understand how that works because even though we'll be unashamed again, we're not going to be naked. We're going to be in white robes washed in his blood and that's going to unify us. I have the faith to believe right now that the church should look like that today. I, I also have the faith to believe and I'm calling you to a place of expectancy that the 85 plus percent of people who have found our church and other churches like ours to be completely irrelevant so much so that they have not a care in the world that we even exist here are waiting for us to get outside of the walls of this church and go to where they are and to present the gospel to them that if we believe that silence is violence that we would believe it more about the gospel than anything else. That we would open our mouths and declare that peace, the peace of God is offered to an unbelieving world and that people who die without him die without him, separated from him eternally. I have the faith to believe that if we would go to them in faith, that many would respond today. Are you willing to are you willing to in this moment of us being together online or here are you willing this is don't get too I, I'm going to say something weird but just don't take it too far but are you willing are you willing to in the spiritual realm be made pregnant in expectancy are you willing to carry something like this or something I haven't named to the point of birth are you willing to hold it and pray it and to keep looking for signs and sounds of it knocking at the door that we might celebrate it together. I'm going to ask you to stand if you can. And if you want, I know I want, just maybe slip out of where you are and come on up here and kneel at the altar and And ask the Lord to up it, up your expectancy. Maybe you're going to ask him specific. Maybe you've already got it. He's already given it to you. Maybe it's one of the things I named. Maybe I'm not even in the ballpark. 
then come right now and ask him just to begin to, to, to fill you with expectancy for that one thing. And if you don't have it, come here and ask him to give it to you. Let me add jobs. <laughs> jobs. We're going to see the real economic impact of this in the third, fourth quarter of this year, but there are people here right now who are either underemployed or unemployed. Jobs. Come. You go ahead and come if you've got that. But if you don't have it, come ask him to give it to you. I'm going to pray as you come. So Jesus, I like movement because I believe it It represents something in the prophetic. And I believe that it, we need to unhinge our hearts from this stale place. I need to unhinge my heart from this place of not really believing in faith for the very things I'm praying. I trust the fact that you can delay an answer that I want or you can say no, but that shouldn't lower my level of expectancy. Make me like Peter, confident in the unknowing. Make me like Rhoda, that when I see the answer, that I would insist the answer has come, even when I'm told that I'm out of my mind. Deliver me from the clutches or the mindset of Herod, pandering to the audience instead of bowing to you, Jesus, and fill me with expectancy. Help us, Lord. Come, in Jesus' name.